I love when our worship goes right into our message. Uh, my, my favorite line um, in that song, I mean, there's a lot of good lines, man, but one of my favorites is when, when, when uh, I will sing for joy even when my heart is heavy. And I got to be honest, I think this whole series is kind of heavy because we're talking about fear. And fear is not something we, we like shout from the mountaintops and the rooftops and we put on our Instagram feed. We don't, we don't project those a lot because they're heavy, they're, they're fear. And so I want to start tonight by just telling you uh, the first time that I ever felt alone. And that was like, and this is, I know this is not everybody's story, but this is just my story. And it was the first week of college. I grew up uh, in, a, in a decently small sized town in Iowa. And I went to school, a small Christian school in Chicago, and I wanted to play soccer. And so uh, I tried out for the soccer team, and the soccer tryouts were 10 days leading up to school. But also at that exact same time, there was this freshman retreat. All incoming freshmen would go to this camp in Wisconsin, and they would spend four or five days together getting to know each other, you know, building some, some camaraderie within the freshman class. But you didn't go if you were trying out for a fall sport like soccer or football or cross country or whatever. And so I went and I was like, I want to play soccer. And so I went to the tryouts and, and you know, little old Andy, 130 pounds soaking wet, thought, I'm going to go play college soccer. And I went and tried out. Uh, it was a phenomenal experience until they posted who made the team and who didn't make the team. And then I realized this is not so great of an experience. Because not only did I feel rejection for the first time in my life, now, I, well, I shouldn't say that. Um, I've been rejected plenty of times by girls in high school, but uh, <laughs> rejection when I really, really, really worked for something. Like I trained all summer, I wanted to make the team, and I did make the team. And the unfortunate part of that was not only did I not make the team, that means I wasn't a part of that group of guys. And so then the next day, all the freshmen come in on buses. And guess what? I wasn't a part of that group either, who had just camped out in the wilderness and had bonfires and who, I don't know what they did, I wasn't there. <laughs> but now there I was, my first week of college, and I didn't belong anywhere. No one knew me, and I didn't know anyone else. Because I wasn't, I didn't want to be that guy that didn't make the team, but like, still hung out with the team because I'm like, I, I, I should have made it. You know, like just that, I didn't want to be that guy. And so I, I, I didn't do that. And I felt utterly alone. And I realized for the first time in my life, I didn't really know how to make friends. I didn't know. And that was the first moment where I started to think that, you know what? I've had friends my whole life, but I didn't really make them. They were kind of assigned to me my whole life through school or athletics or clubs that I had joined or church or my neighborhood. Like up until that week, I never realized that I didn't really know how to make friends from scratch. And I think that's a lot like the young adult world. I've talked to a lot of you over the last four years that when you leave college, this utopic social environment, and maybe you move to a city like Oklahoma City and you're not from here, you didn't go to high school here, and you go to a job where you don't know anybody and you realize, I'm alone. And I don't really know how to make friends. Like you might have a roommate. But for a lot of you that I've spoken with, like this was a hard transition that you did not see coming out of college. Which is one of the reasons I'm really glad that we do this because it creates a little bit 
of an opportunity to make friends and grow in our faith. But I think this issue of being alone is, is one that kind of weighs heavy on us. It's one that we um, probably find a little bit of embarrassment admitting, but it is very real for each one of us. And there's a, UCLA did a, did a survey uh, along with this insurance company called Cigna, and they, they wanted to study loneliness in uh, America. And so, because they're an insurance company and they wanted to know if there was any physical um, realities that, that uh, loneliness brings on. Like they want to know, are we paying for healthcare just because people are lonely? And the answer is, yes, you are. And what they realize is there is a lot of correlations between being physically lonely and being physically not well. And so some of, the, some of these, uh, these statistics I wanted to read to you were, I found very interesting. They surveyed over 20,000 people 18 and over, and 30% of them stated that they rarely or never feel as though there are people who really understand them. 30%. 30% of us in this room, if we had a true serum, would say, I don't feel like anyone gets me. Generation Z and millennials, that means 18 through 22 and then 23 to 37, are lonelier and claim to be in worse health than older generations in any period in our history. When asked how often they feel like no one knows them well, more than half of the respondents, 54%, surveyed that they feel that way always or sometimes. 54% of people say that no one knows me well. Doctor, or uh, sorry, he's not a doctor, he's just the CEO. David Cordani, the CEO of Cigna, he said this. In analyzing our data closely, we see a lack of human connection, which ultimately leads to a lack of physical vitality. I love it when science catches up to what, what, the, what the Bible and God has known since the beginning. That's why I read statistics, because I want us to know that this is not just a biblical thing, that our scientific world knows that this truth is there, and we're going to get to that in just a second. And so tonight, we are going to look at the fear of being alone. Now, there are some bright spots in this, in this survey they did. The bright spots were this, and some of you are going to be really glad to hear this, is that social media had no, no determination on people's loneliness. People that had it and people that didn't have it very equally said they felt lonely and unknown. The other bright spot were people that were in regular person-to-person -person interactions were less likely to be lonely. Those who found a balance in daily activities, and what I mean by balance is they said, well, Sleep is good. The less sleep you get or the too much sleep that you get will make you more lonely. If you eat healthy or if you eat super unhealthy, like that matters. There needs to be a balance. And the last one they said was those who are employed are much less likely to be lonely. Why do you think that is? Because when you're employed, you're around people. And we're going to get into this tonight. But before we do... Um, I just wanted to be honest with you. I wanted, I wanted to cover um, an elephant in the room, if you will. Because when, when we talk about the fear of being alone, I think the general underlying fear of being alone is the fear of never getting married. Can we just say that? Like when I talk to young adults, that's it. Because most of you probably have a friend. 
Most of you probably maybe have a roommate or you have a coworker that you enjoy. And so it's not like we're, we're, we're without human interaction. We're not all hermits. But if we could just for a minute, because here's what I want to do. I want to talk about this marriage thing for just a second. And then I want to move on with the rest of the night and unhinge this topic of being alone that is, it's a marriage issue. Okay? So here's what I want to just really quickly share with you about this marriage elephant. Number one is, is our desire to be married is not wrong. If you want to be married, I'm not here to tell you don't desire that. I believe that when we look at scripture, it is a God-given desire to want to be married. It is his design for men and women to be married, to enjoy one another, and practically populate the earth so we don't go extinct. All right? There are wonderfully romantic things. There are wonderful emotional connections that you have in marriage. But there are also the practical things like we, we, we don't want to go extinct. And so marriage is a good thing. And I don't want you ever to hear me say that it's not. But if we can be honest for a minute, in which I, I always want to be honest here, is I think many of us have idolized marriage. It sits on the throne of your life and you worship it. That if I just got married, then everything else would just be, be okay. That if I just got married, then everyone would know that there's nothing wrong with me. That if I could just get married, it would show everyone that I'm worth loving. That if I could just get married, I wouldn't be a failure. You see where I'm going with this? I think our culture, and especially the church culture, has told us that marriage is ultimate. And I'm here to tell you tonight that marriage is not ultimate. It is good, and it is awesome, and it is great, but it is not ultimate. I think sometimes we give marriage our thoughts our emotions, our conversations, our tears, our time, and our money more than anything else in our life, especially as single young adults. But when we allow marriage to be on the throne of our lives and remove God from the throne of our lives, and what I mean by that is, is, is this idea of being married brings you joy and excitement and peace and hope. Because those things are found in God first. Our peace is in Christ. Our hope is in Jesus. But what happens when we, when we make that switch, when we take God off of his throne, we put marriage on the throne, and everything about us says, I gotta find that. If I could just find that, then this. If I could just find that, then I'll be a complete person. If I can just find that, then I'll have purpose for my life. If I could just get married, then my life wouldn't be meaningless. I know, especially the ladies in the, in the audience, you go home and be like, well, why has no one married you yet? Right, you get that from your mom, or your grandma, or your aunt, and there's an underlying whisper that immediately hits your ears that there's something wrong with me. That's why. And I'm here to tell you that marriage has nothing to do with whether you are okay or good enough. There are wonderful, wonderful people that I know who are single, have never been married, and they are loving life, they are living with purpose, they're following Jesus, and he is using them to the utmost extremes, and they've never been married. 
Because when we make that switch and we take God off the throne and we put marriage on the throne, then God simply becomes a means to our end. He becomes a tool. And when that tool doesn't work for you, we throw the tool aside and we find something else. We cannot afford gathering. We cannot afford to take Jesus off of his throne and replace it with a relationship with another human. That somehow that is going to fix everything. That somehow if I could just get married, I'll never be lonely again. Whoa. Only single people say that. Because I'll tell you this, there is nothing worse than being lonely in marriage. Because we bought into this belief and this myth that if I just get married, they'll get me, they'll understand me, I'll be known. And yes, that is true, they'll know you better than anybody else. But it was like my second or third year of marriage, Taylor, my wife, had given me a present, I think it was for Valentine's Day or something, and she had spent a lot of time, she's an artist, she, she really shows uh, her love for our kids and for me by, by doing art. Um, I don't know if that's the right art. It's art. Um, I'm not an art person, so I just call it art. Um, drawings, illustrations, whatever. And I did not um, respond to the gift the way that she had hoped. Because what she had given me was a very um, personal thing. It was her craft. It was her gift. And she had spent a lot of time on it. And I was, I was like, wow, that's okay. Thank you. That's great. And inadvertently, I had crushed her. Because I did not show um, that I, basically, here's the end of the day was, I was like, what, is, what did I do wrong? And she said this, and I got permission to share this with her, with you. She said to me, she's like, Andy, I thought when we got married, you would, just, you, would, you would know me and understand me. And you don't. And that hurts. I'm like, wow. <laughs> and I, I, feel, I, I apologize, but, the, but she came into our marriage thinking that I would just get her. And she told me that, that she felt very, very lonely in that season when the realization was that my husband does not understand me. Because she thought, once we got married, voila. He would, he would get me. He would know me. And so when we exchange God for marriage and we put marriage on the throne, not only can it not deliver what you want, we inadvertently and silently and unbeknownst to us, we put God on the side and we use him to get what we really worship. And in doing so, our faith becomes a sideshow. So, I just want to talk about that really quick. I know that was pretty heavy. But I, I know that when we talk about the fear of being alone, that for a lot of you, that's the first thought that comes to your mind is that I'll, I'll never be married. That's my, my, my greatest fear, is that I will not be acceptable to someone. I will not find that person. I will have failed. I won't be complete. I'm here to tell you, you are a complete and whole person in and as you are. God made you, Psalm 139 says, he made you and he knit you together. You are a whole person. No man and no woman completes you. What completes you is God who made you. So don't buy our cultural myth. And on behalf of the church, I know that the church culture, not just crossings, the church culture in America, we raise up marriage. We do. The way we program, the way we do things is, is if you're married, we got, a, we got a ton of stuff for you. Right? You know that. 
But if you're not married, well, I mean, we got a one class for you. I hope it works for you, right? Can I be honest? That's why we started this. Because we saw a need at crossings that we have everything up through college and then we have nothing until you get married. And so that's why we started the young adult ministry. Because you guys are complete people. You're valuable people. And you don't just stop growing in your faith because you're not married. That's crazy talk. But Satan loves to live in our ear and say, you are not complete. You are not fulfilled. You are not worthy. You are not good enough. You're not man enough. You're not pretty enough. You're not smart enough. These are all the lies that, God, that Satan tells us to get us to be fearful of being alone. And I hope tonight we can release you from some of the fears and some of the lies that we believe about being alone. Marriage is awesome, but it is not ultimate. I know that because Jesus wasn't married. He didn't even date. If marriage was ultimate for God to use you and show his love for you, Jesus would have gotten married. But he didn't. He was on mission. And he knew what he needed to do. So, there's my, that's, we're gonna, I'm gonna start my talk now. Here we go. If you got your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter two. Some of you are gonna get really mad at me here in a second because we're gonna talk about the creation of man and woman <laughs> after I get done talking about marriage not being ultimate. But here's what I wanna do. I wanna be in this text and expand our view and the underlying principle that we're learning here from God in creation of man and woman. Because ultimately, underneath it all is relationship, is connection, it's, com it's uh, camaraderie, it's companionship. All right, so follow me in, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. So here's where we've been, really quick, sorry. In the verses just before and in chapter 1, we see God create the world. And we see six times God say, and it was good. And it was good, and it was good, and it was good, and it was good, and it was good. And then he says, I created man, and it was very good. That's what we see. God is creating. He's like, man, this is good. And I created that dude, and that is very good. They're created in my image. And in 18, it says this, Then the Lord said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. And that word helper is the word uh, in Hebrew, azer. And that word in our context in America sounds less than. But when you look at that word throughout the Old Testament, you see that it is anything other than less than. It is a powerful helper someone who comes alongside in battle and battles with. It's this imagery of one soldier like this and the other soldier on the helping on the backside saying, I got you. It is a common purpose to help, to support. It's used 21 times in the Old Testament. 16 of them are used as he is my help and my shield. That is the same word that describes God. So yes, ladies, you were created in the image of God. Not you're, not you're not less than. That word helper in our culture lends itself to that, but that is not the meaning here. 
It's another side note. We're going to keep going. One of the interesting things we see here, um, and we'll see here in a second, is this is before the fall. All right? It is not good happened before the fall. There was loneliness before sin entered the world. For that matter, there's also work before the fall. But let's read on. Verse 18, it says this, then the, God, then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he could, would call them. So he's sending all the animals to Adam. He says, and whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and all the birds of the heavens and all the beasts of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. Verse 21, so the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. My first point tonight is this. God made Adam aware of his aloneness. You see how God did that? He said, hey, it's not good that you're alone. Uh, before we fix this, I'm going to bring all the animals to you. We're going to, you know, cornucopia, blow, blow the horn. They're all going to come to you, Adam, and you're going to name all of them. And guess what he probably saw as he was naming them? He probably noticed that, man, there's a dude lion, and there's a chick lion, and there is a daddy duck, and there's a mommy duck. And he, there had been this awkward moment of like, hmm, I see a problem here. And God saw the same thing. He said, there is not one who is suitable that fits him. And so the first thing he does, he makes, God makes Adam aware of his aloneness. Another way to say that, the timeless truth, is that we're made for relationship. God created us for relationship. You know how I know this in real life? Like in, in many of your lives, you can see this. Because one of the first things you do in your young adulting life, once you get out of college and realize you have a lack of social life and friendship, is you buy a dog. <laughs> because we're lonely. And we want to be needed. And we want to be wanted. And we want to snuggle. So we buy a dog. Your dog should remind you that God created you for a relationship but a much better relationship than a dog. And I gotta be honest, when I, when I look at this, I think, just like we were singing this song, I gotta wonder if at any time as he's getting tired of naming every animal that comes, I wonder if he ever felt that God failed him. That God had forgotten him. Because I'll bet there are days when you're, it's a Friday night, and you're streaming through your Instagram and you feel like God has failed you because you don't have somebody. Maybe you don't have a group of friends. Maybe you don't have somebody you're dating. And there's a good chance that's when your heart is heavy. And I wonder if Adam may have felt that. Like this idea that we're made for relationships, I can prove to you how desperate we are for relationships. It's called Tinder. Like, I can't think of a worse possible way to meet someone than simply by their picture and a short description online and you've never met them before in your life. Like, that is the worst possible way. 
We're desperate for it. Our hearts long for relationship because God made you for relationship. And this is not a new phenomenon. I looked it up. I was like, when did personal ads begin? And I thought, you know, maybe like in the 80s or 70s. Oh, no. 1727 (laughs) is the first known personal ad, and it's by a sweet little lady named Helen Morrison. And she wrote into the Manchester Weekly Journal. And in several words, she professed her desire for a nice gentleman. Some of y'all need to put that on your Tinder, right? I want a nice gentleman. No, don't do that, seriously. Um, But I love this part. It says, but society had not yet warmed up to such a practice. The message caught the attention of many people, specifically one man, the city mayor, who promptly committed the lady to an asylum for a month. That sounds about right. Like, that's Tinder in 1727. It was such a foreign, crazy idea. Like, you're crazy. We're sending you away for a month. You need to get some help. But we're desperate. Tinder is, is the good news that God is confirming that you're, you're dying for relationship. That it's in us. And so here you have a God who can provide all of Adam's needs. But catch this. But although he can provide, he decided to create Adam with a built-in need. So that he can discover it. Come to God for help, and God gives him exactly what he needs. Are you okay with a God that creates a need in you just so that he can meet it? I, I, see, I know this all day long. I see it with my kids. I see it with my kids. I know what they need, but I don't just give it to them without them asking. Not because I'm withholding, because I want them to know they can come to me. Because I love them, and I know them, and I will gladly give them what they need. But they need to know that their daddy loves them and will give them and provide for them. And I wonder if that's why God created that need in Adam, so that it was a nail in the coffin. Adam, I can meet your needs. God made Adam aware of his aloneness in order to draw Adam to himself and show that he knows and is able to provide for Adam's every need. My second point tonight God provided Adam a solution for his aloneness. God provided Adam a solution for his aloneness. He got Eve, one that was fit for him. He got companionship. You see, God meets our needs by his presence and his people. That's another way of saying this, that God meets our needs by his presence and his people. You see, God created us for two relationships, himself and his people. But here's the, here's the problem. When we try to do one without the other, that is where we find ourselves truly alone. Hear me say that again. When we try to do one relationship without the other is when you will find yourself truly alone. Because either people, you'll, you'll pursue people and not God, and eventually, people will become your God, and those people will let you down, and your God has failed you. That's what we do. When we leave God out of the picture, we just pursue people. We just pursue a friendship. We just per- per- pursue a dating relationship. And we put all of our relational chips on a person. 
it will always disappoint because that person is not perfect. They do not know you. They do not understand you. They don't see you. They did not make you. On the flip side, and, and, and honestly, real quick, before I get there, like the reason you, we see this happen, because when we get broken up with, there is deep, deep, deep pain. Because maybe we've just put a little bit too much hope in that person and in that relationship status. That goes back to what I was saying about marriage. Maybe we've allowed marriage, this idea, to take a little bit too much of importance in our life. That when that is taken away, we are crushed. That's what happens when we're only pursuing people. Now, if we only pursue God and we're like, I don't need people. I'm an introvert. People drive me crazy. I'm just going to worship by myself. I'm not going to go to church. I'm, gonna be, I'm just going to do, do me. I'm, I'm a big alone time person. Well, guess what? You're going to miss out on God's divine design for human flourishing. And that is his people. So if we pursue either one of God or his people separately, you will find yourself alone. Because a lot of times, especially in the Christian world, I think we put expectations on people that only God can fulfill. Right? You ever been in that place? Maybe you're one of those 30% that says, I don't feel like anyone really understands me and gets me. Yes, I, I understand that because God is the only one that can truly understand you and know you and get you. And to expect anyone else to be able to do that for you is going to set you up for deep pain. And so I love what God does here. He says, I'm going to provide for you, Adam. I'm going to give you a need. You're going to come to me for it, and I'm going to provide it for you. God provides with his presence. This is a biblical theme we see all throughout Scripture. There's this phrase, I am with you. It's not just one time, not just three times. It is from the beginning to the end. Isaiah 41.10 says this, God says, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you in my righteous right hand. Joshua 1.9 says, Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Deuteronomy 31.6 says, Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or dread them, for it is the Lord your God that goes with you. Are you catching a the theme here? That fear and I am with you go like this. Because when we fear, what we're truly believing is that God has forgotten us. He is not with us. And then Jesus says it right before he leaves. In Matthew 28, 20, he says, Go make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And in John 16, 7, he says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. Why would it be my advantage for Jesus to leave? He says this, For if I do not go, the Helper will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. The Spirit of God for the Christian is with you. God is with you. Jesus knows you and sees you and is with you. And God's provided his, for his presence, uh, his people. 
Matthew 18, 20 says, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. Guys, his people is the church. It's us. It's right here. God has provided his presence and he's provided his people. That's why it's so important. You'll hear me beat this drum all day long, every day, that you've got to be in community. You've got to get with people that love Jesus and live life with them. That's God's solution. You don't have to be married. You have the church, his people. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says, do not stop meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. You see, God provided a solution for Adam and he has for us. It's his presence in our lives and the people he created in his image. My last point tonight is this, in verse 21. It says, so the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he, was, he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. My third point is this, God removed from Adam to solve his aloneness. God removed something from Adam to solve his aloneness. Another way to say this is God takes away from Adam only to give him something better. He removed a rib from him. He had surgery. God took away from Adam only to give him something better. You see, giving of ourselves, not only getting, is the key to never being alone. Giving of ourselves, not only getting, is the key to never being alone. We see this in Adam. You know who we also see this in? Jesus, who gave of himself so that we could be reconciled in our relationship with God. You see, real relationship is not a one-way street. It's not just I get, 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 gimme, 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 gimme. It's a two-way street. And God had to remove something from Adam to provide for his loneliness. Because I think sometimes we're so focused on the benefits of relationships, we cease to be a blessing in the relationship. Because if you're anything like me, I'm, I, I build relationships. I'm a human. I, I, have, I have selfish tendencies all the time. And when I meet people, one of the thoughts that always kind of rolls through my head is like, what benefit do I have to know them? What benefit is it for me to be friends with them? What's in it for me? That's part of it, right? That's part of it. But that's not what Jesus did. Jesus said, I'm going to come and I'm going to give myself for you so that your relationship with God can be made right. You see, if we only seek relationship to alleviate our loneliness, we will end up using and manipulating people and destroy the very thing we seek. If the only reason we're seeking relationship is to alleviate my loneliness, then what's going to happen is I, I, I'm going to, the, my fear and the pressure to have connection is going to ruin it. Like we know, you probably have met someone like this. The first time they meet you, they verbally vomit everything that's ever happened to them, and it's terrible. And the next time you see them, I'm like, oh, I need to, I'm busy, um, I need to do something, just a minute, I'll talk to you. Because they, they want it so bad, they can't contain themselves. And they ruin the very thing that they want. There's a book uh, called Mice and Men. Anybody read that book? Anybody? There's a, there's a character in that, in that um, book that likes fuzzy things. 
and he starts out with a mouse. And his, his uh, cousin or friend finds that he's been carrying a dead mouse around for a long time because he likes to touch the fuzzy mouse, but he's killed it because he's squeezed it so hard. And then later on in the story, um, so they, they learn that he likes the, the touch of fuzzy things, and so someone gives him a, a puppy. And eventually, guess what happens? The puppy dies because he's squeezing it so hard and he's petting it. The puppy dies. And then he meets this, I think it's his boss's wife, and she's got very beautiful hair, and she realizes and learns that he likes to touch uh, soft things. And she's like, well, why don't you touch my hair? And he pulls her hair so hard that it snaps her neck and kills her. And like, it's this story of like, man, this dude just likes fuzzy things. But I think sometimes we're so desperate for relationship, we're so desperate to get married that we defeat the very thing we're seeking by trying to do it and make it happen and I'm just gonna do it, I'm, it's gonna work and I'm gonna pursue, I'm gonna, instead of just trusting that God has got you, he has not forgotten you. And if you wanna be a good husband, if you wanna be a good wife, then practice sacrificially loving and caring for people while you're single. If you wanna be a good husband, learn to serve people well. If you wanna be a good wife, learn to serve people well. Because healthy relationships requires a balance between active giving and humbly receiving. You can practice now for the relationship that you hope to have. You see, our culture, just the culture that we live in, sets us up to be alone. You know why? Because it teaches us to be selfish. Go and get what you need. Use people to get what you want. Selfishness leads to loneliness. Because just, I'll just use people. I'll manipulate and I'll use them and I'll use them and I'll put expectation on them that they can't meet and eventually I'll be like, well, you're no longer useful to me. I'll move on to the next person. Selfishness leads to aloneness. But Jesus teaches us to give, to serve one another. And just like Adam, and God removes something from him, my question tonight is this, what might need to be removed from you in order for God to provide community and companionship? Maybe it's just getting out of your own way. There's a famous definition of humility. It's like humility is not um, thinking less of yourself. Is that right? It's thinking of yourself less. And I think sometimes we sabotage our own efforts in relationships and a community because all we, we, all we can feel and experience is our own desires and needs. Flip it. Flip it. Because what Jesus is, he put his needs and his privilege aside and said, I'm going to come and seek and save and serve. He met our needs. So what is it for you? What might need to be removed from your life in order for you, for God to provide community and companionship? Is it your time? Do you need to sacrifice some time to actually join a small group? Do you need to actually sacrifice some time to go have coffee with someone because you need, you need some good accountability, you need a friendship? 
Maybe it's your perspective or expectations of other people. Because I think sometimes as Christians, we expect Christians to act like Christ. And when they don't, we're like, oh, disillusioned, done. I'm done with you. But guys, Christians are people. We attempt community all over this place. And I say attempt because we fail often. We don't love people perfectly. We don't serve them perfectly. We don't understand them well. We don't do it perfectly. But you know what? It's worth putting yourself in the position. And so maybe we need to remove our expectations and our perspectives of other people and how they should treat us. And instead of wanting them to meet our needs, we go meet their needs. Flip the switch. Maybe it's money. Maybe you need to drive a little bit farther to find it. Maybe it's your ambitions. Maybe it's your convenience. Maybe it's your social life. Maybe you need to say no to something so that you can be committed to the relationships and the community God has provided for you. I talk to our small group leaders all the time. And this is, a, and this is not just young adults. This is adults, everybody. Old adults, middle adults, young adults. The biggest issue in our small groups is commitment. Because if something else comes up, small groups out of the picture. I'm going. I'm going to this. Maybe it's we give up a little bit of our social life because we want to engage and celebrate what God has provided for us. So I love seeing you guys every Tuesday. I know a lot of you, I know several of you drive a long way. I mean, heck, we have people from Kingfisher. We have people from Enid. We have people from Tulsa. We have people from Wichita that drive here because they want community. And that's amazing to me. That blows my mind. They're sacrificing their time, their money, their gas mileage, their car value, everything. And I wonder if some of us put up barriers that keep us from enjoying God's people because it doesn't fit in the box that I want it to fit. So here's the truth that I'll end with. That the fear of being alone ceases to paralyze us when we remember consistently that God has made us with a need and God has met that need through his presence and his people. I know that is a long truth. We'll leave it up there for a second. That the fear of being alone ceases to paralyze us when we consistently remember that God has made us with a need. Like that need is good. It should remind you that God created you a certain way. We also need to recognize and remember that God has met that need through his presence. He says, I am with you. We have his word where we can meet with him and hear from him. And he has given us his people who are made in his image. My two questions tonight are, are this. Where are you connected to life-giving community? Where are you connected? Where have you sacrificed part of yourself to be a part of community? I mean, heck, Adam gave an, a rib. I don't think any of us are going to surgery to find community. But are you a part of life-giving community? And then the second question kind of goes this way. Are you someone who breathes life into relationship or sucks life out of them? When you go to small group, are you breathing life into the other people? Are you seeing their need and breathing life and encouragement and care, the very things that you want? Because here's what I've come to find out in my 41 years on this planet. 
the more that I care for other people and serve them and meet their needs, guess what naturally happens? My needs get met. I actively give and serve and I humbly receive. There's a great balance there. So are you connected in life-giving community? Are you someone who breathes life into relationships or are you someone that maybe sucks life out of them? So in closing, the fear of being alone is in a weird way good. It's simply a reminder that God has created you for a relationship with him and his people. Things only go sideways when people when we put people in the place of God and expect his creation to do and provide for us what only the creator can provide. And that is to be truly known, understood, and loved. You see, our relationship with God is the most important thing about us. That is the most important thing about you, is your relationship with God. It's our foundation, it's our identity, our value, joy, and our peace. So pursue that relationship with the creator before you pursue relationships with his creation. Otherwise, we will inadvertently start expecting and worshiping the created over the creator. And you see, people are God's gift and provision for you and for me. But sometimes we must remove our own insecurities, expectations, fears, comforts, conveniences, whatever it may be, so that you can find and meet the needs of others. And in meeting the needs of others, you will rarely find yourself alone. We're going to go into 120 seconds. We just take two minutes and just let the Holy Spirit do his work. Maybe think about the questions we talked about or the scriptures we looked at. But just let this time be a time where you reflect and ask God, what's my response? Maybe you, need to be, maybe you just need to cry out to God like, God, I want that. I want companionship. I want relationship. So just pray. Like I said, our prayer team will be in the back. If we talked about last week. Going and being prayed for is the first step in being known. It's just letting someone know, like, I, could you just pray for me? I'm lonely. I'm fearful. I want to get married, but it's not happening for me. Whatever it is, just these people are safe people. Let someone pray for you. And then let me pray. Here we go. Lord, just want to thank you for this night, Lord. Thank you for bringing us each here. God, I know that I mean, you know my insecurities talk about this, God. I know there are people in here that have heard something that I said, and it just, it hurts. They disagree with it. But God, I pray that your grace would come over this room and that they would know the truth of your word is that you created us to be with you first and with your creation second. And God, I pray you would rightly arrange our hearts. God, that maybe you'd reform our affections for you that you would reignite our affections for you. And God, we would watch you provide for every need that we have. In your son's name, amen.